you ready? Are you ready? This week on Baby Quest, what is the best time to sex to become pregnant? baby quest a podcast about the things that we talk about so far it's just about our story but sometime it's gonna be about other things soon i promise my name's mike and i'm leah so what are we talking about this week no wait okay forget that how are you this week i'm good how are you Eh. all right okay okay uh for posterity it's april no it's may 1st (laughs) As of the recording of this, and uh, 2020, and we are we're smack dab in a pandemic. Week seven of quarantine. No, more than that, surely. It's like two months at least. All of March and April have happened. No, we weren't in quarantine all of March. We, well, I don't know why One, you're looking at your two, calendar. Three, you didn't write quarantine four, in your five, calendar. Six. Yes, this is the end of week seven. No, do you know how I know when it started? Because it started the week of March break. I know exactly when it started. All right. Week a lot of quarantine. I mean, I work at a hospital, so I still go to work. I work in an elementary school. I do not go to work. So Leah doesn't go to work, so that's cool. I'm attempting to teach kindergartners virtually through online resources. How's that going? They don't love the online courses? No. Mm. I don't love the online courses. Mm. That's too bad. <laughs> yeah. So what are we talking about this week? Oh, I said the funny thing about Pregnant, like from the video. Right. Yeah. Everybody... But we were already... Make sure you've seen that video that I referenced. Maybe you should link it in, like, the episode description or something. The video is called, How is Prangent Formed? And it's a very good video. So we left off last week. I was eight weeks pregnant. Yeah, that's very pregnant. No, it's like a little bit pregnant. It's pretty pregnant. Do you know how long a pregnancy lasts? At least eight, I know, because that's where we left off. More, more than eight. Eight what? Units of time. (laughs) For anybody out there who doesn't know, a pregnancy, a normal pregnancy. Nine months. Nine months or 40 weeks. If you're an elephant. No, an elephant is pregnant much longer than that. Also, pro tip to anybody, if you see a woman and you think, or a person who is pregnant and you think they've been pregnant for a long time, do not ask them if they are an elephant because you've heard that elephants have long gestations because you'll probably get punched in the face by that pregnant person. Humans are only pregnant for nine months. Elephants are 40 weeks, though. Okay. So, last week, we left off and I was eight weeks pregnant. Uh, So, at eight weeks, I think I mentioned, you graduate from the fertility center and you are referred to an OB, so a 
doctor that specializes in obstetrics. So An obstetrician, some might say. Thank you. Taking care of pregnant people and delivering their babies. So we saw a high-risk OB at 12 weeks at the hospital in Ottawa, and we had an ultrasound. At this ultrasound, the baby looks like a baby. Yeah. You can, like, very distinctly see, like... It had a head. Head. It had a body. Yeah. It had legs, arms, arms. Legs. You name it. Facial features. You can see, like, the profile of, like... It had a the face. nose, forehead, At week lips. 12, the face develops. Before that, it's just <laughs> no. kind of smooth, blank. No. no. Don't listen to Mike. But anyways, uh, so at that 12-week ultrasound... Our doctor mentioned that there was some signs that potentially this baby might have some genetic abnormalities. So specifically, she noticed that there was fluid at the base of the neck. Mm. And so when we were in the ultrasound, I was just talking about what a great baby, look how perfect the baby is. And I found in our many, many ultrasounds that all ultrasound techs have like the coolest poker faces like they will not say if anything looks right or wrong or correct or or be like mm, i don't know they'll say things like oh look you know like look there's their hand and you can see one two three four five fingers yeah and they'll say how cute or how oh, like, rambunctious look, the baby oh is. the baby's really moving around and like i have to chase them to get a good picture they're very good at not commenting on their health because they're not <laughs> supposed to but but they can obviously tell when something's going on and in that ultrasound I felt like the ultrasound tech was taking a lot of time looking at the brain and that area. So I was already a little like mm, concerned, hesitant. So when the doctor explained like, oh, the baby has some fluid around the base of their neck. This is normally a characteristic of genetic abnormalities. I was like, oh, okay, that they were taking extra pictures of the head. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, so in our case, this meant probably Noonan syndrome, which was not a huge shock because we knew going in there was 50-50 shot at Noonan's, but it could have also meant literally anything. Uh, yeah, so... When I got... Th when, <laughs> when we had this appointment and we're getting this news, again, knowing full well that a baby could have anything. A baby, our baby has an especially great chance at getting Noonan's. It still felt like devastating to me to hear this. It oh, was, I no. took it really hard. Yeah. I was just like, well, of course this baby has Noonan's. It felt like the reasons that all we wanted to do IVF and everything in the beginning, I was really doubting whether we made the right choice. It was kind of, it was very frustrating to have a sick kid already mm. basically at this point when all you want is for your child to be healthy and happy but like first and foremost healthy and it's like well i already failed at 12 weeks i'm already doing a bad job <laughs> is a little bit what it felt like um so it wasn't like a big surprise but it was still i don't it was tough news for me to hear 
we get more news. We'll get to that, I guess. Yeah. So at this point, uh, we had decided that we would do genetic testing. So for lots of people who are, you know, considered more normal in their pregnancies, they do just like a simple blood test that kind of looks for some markers to see if anything might be wrong. But because I was already higher risk, I got to basically skip a lot of steps and uh, went straight to having a CVS. Which stands for? Oh, I don't know, but I can explain what it is. So it's when they take a tiny piece of your placenta, so they insert a needle into the uterus, and they take a tiny piece of the placenta, and then they screen that, like analyze it, and determine what's going on with the baby. Right, so the CVS appointment, though. Oh, but first, what? before we did the CVS, what? we had to go to the children's hospital oh, yeah. and do genetic counseling. So their genetic counselor kind of talks you through, you know, in our case, yes, it was very likely that uh, this baby had Noonan's, but there was also the chance that the baby could have Down syndrome, trisomy 18 or 13, or was there something else? Yeah. Oh, spina bifida. Right. Right? So these are like the major players, and they present with the same characteristics that we were seeing on the ultrasound, which is why nobody was really sure at that point what was going on. But Noonan syndrome also presents in the same way. So we didn't, you know... At that point, they're saying most likely it's Noonan's, but it could be some of these other things. Yeah, any of the terrifying things. Yeah. So we went to do the CBS and... That was a really interesting appointment. Oh boy, was it ever. So when you are early on in your pregnancy and you are having ultrasounds... You need to have a full bladder in order for, like, basically your bladder fills up and then, like, pushes the baby up so that they can get a better look of the baby. When you get later on in your pregnancy, the baby gets bigger and this isn't necessary. But at 13 weeks, they still want your bladder to be full. So, you know, you basically walk into a waiting room and you're very uncomfortable because your bladder is really full and you're pregnant and this isn't just doesn't feel great. Yeah, you've had to do this many times. And today I had a Microsoft Teams meeting where I had to pee for like the last 15 minutes. And it was the worst thing that's ever happened to me in my life. So, <laughs> so yeah, maybe now you kind of understand. Yeah, no, it's very bad when you have a full bladder and can't do anything about it. And I mean... Also, this appointment was late, and so my bladder was very full. So, like, the appointment was running late. They weren't on time, which, I mean, it was a hospital appointment. Why would I ever expect them to run on time? So hey, I work at a hospital. <laughs> so, you know, they do an ultrasound first before they start the procedure to see where the baby is, where the placenta is, what's going to be the best angle. Also probably worth mentioning... We're, we're, was this still at the point where you're getting internal ultrasounds? Or were we past no, that? No, we were past that. Oh, okay, never mind. Internal ultrasounds are very exciting and kind of what they sound like. Yeah. Anyway, we're past it. It doesn't matter. Uh, this is not one of those. So, and because I am a special patient always, uh, it ended up being that there was 
three doctors and two ultrasound techs in a very tiny room. And me. Oh, and Mike. And then they put you on a bed and you are in stirrups. And they decided for me that the best way to get the placenta was to go internally versus through my stomach. So they like had to stick, I don't even know what they use. Something went up my vagina to grab a piece of the placenta. And so here's the thing from my perspective. I'm thinking they need, you know, a couple cells or something to do this test. So they would go in, touch it barely with a Q-tip or something, get whatever they need, and then they can do their test. But no, they go in there, grab the stuff, pull it out, and there's like an inch long, dangly, floppy piece of flesh on the end of this instrument that they brought out. It was really cool and interesting. I was surprised that you can just grab that much placenta and not like bust a hole in there or whatever. But uh, no, they knew what they were doing. I do know that you looked at me afterwards and said, Leah, did you see that? And I said, no, Mike, I was a little busy trying to like not pass out. It was very exciting. Yeah, Mike was really into it. I also, the only other thing I remember about that is that I had extremely bad anxiety because you were between me and the door was everybody else in the room performing medical procedures. <laughs> uh, so I was like very stuck in there and couldn't leave if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. So I didn't like that part. So the rest was good for me. <laughs> Great. So that was the CVS, and about two weeks later, we received the results. Yeah, that was a long two weeks. Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) Waiting for that? Yeah. Yeah, I remember it being a long wait. Okay, I don't remember that. Okay. Uh, So we found out that, yes, the baby had Noonans. Yay! And we also found out that the baby was a girl. Yeah, Leah got a phone call without me. Because uh, I was at work. Because she was at work. Well, I was. Up. everyone was at work, everyone in the whole situation. And then I got home from work and Leah had a balloon sitting in the front hallway saying, it's a girl, and that's how I found out. And it was, uh, <laughs> it was extremely exciting. <laughs> it was such a weird thing because I was like really thrilled to get this news and so excited to be having a girl and it was really weird because I would have been just as excited to have a boy I'm sure it's not like one would have been better than the other but it was like such amazing news to hear that we were having a girl it was yeah that was a really good time Mm -hmm. yeah and so we had decided on her name we already had a girl name picked out oh yeah but now it like, just became official, basically, because... We didn't even mention uh, up until this point, yeah. before we knew if she was a girl or whatever, uh, we'd been calling her Buzz. Yes. So everything was just, we were always talking about Buzz. And then, and that kind of stuck, even though, even after we found out she was a girl. Buzz absolutely stuck, and we continued to call her Buzz uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> forever. Uh, so, but we decided on her name, and her name is Eliza Gwendolyn, and Day is kind of a sneaky... Oh yeah, we can talk about this. Um, middle name. Leah and I do not have the same last name. 
which is fine, I guess. <laughs> um, even though we're married, but Leah doesn't like me that much, and she didn't take my name. It's not the reason why. And so Eliza, her last name was just going to be my name. So it's going to be like Eliza Gwendolyn Wheeler. But we wanted to have a secret third name in there as well that would show up on official documentation like passports and stuff so it was was not going to be like hyphenated or anything she's just not going to have two last names but altogether is eliza gwendolyn day wheeler yeah and just so when she was traveling (laughs) with leah and they're like who's this person why don't they have the same name it would just it would have looked a little better, a little yeah. easier to figure things out, we think. Yeah. That was our strategy there. That was our pro strat for naming. <laughs> and so then the next... I hope everyone can hear me drinking my delicious warm beverage. And you complained about my noisy vest last week. Yeah, because it was annoying. Everyone's going to love the sound of me drinking, though. No. So... The next time we saw our OB was at 16 weeks, and we had another ultrasound. And at that ultrasound, the OB told us that it looked to her like Eliza had a heart defect. And she wasn't super sure exactly what that heart defect looked like, mostly because at that point, the baby is still pretty small. So small. The heart is even smaller. Real tiny. And it's just a little difficult to see, but from what she could see, she could see that there was some like structural abnormalities. So at that point, because of the heart defect, I needed to be at a different hospital because when it came time to giving birth, I would need to be close to the children's hospital in Ottawa which involved me moving hospitals. So at 20 weeks, I got referred to a different OB at the other hospital in Ottawa. We went from the high-risk OB, who is the super specialist on Leah having a heart condition, to a different high-risk OB, who's a super specialist on everybody involved having heart conditions. Yeah. And so at 20 weeks, I started with my new OB, and we ha- I had another ultrasound, and that's when they do the anatomy scan. So that's when they're checking, like, every part of the baby. And they were there able to see even better the heart and confirmed, yes, Eliza did have a heart defect. And they still weren't exactly sure what that heart defect looked like. They thought, like, mm, there looks like there's a hole in her heart. But they weren't exactly sure how extensive that was. Every time we saw Eliza, she was doing some major stunts. Yeah, she was she a was... very <laughs> wiggly baby inside of extremely me. Extremely active, doing all kinds of karate moves. It was very cute. And, and often very good. the techs would like they like would comment that she was like running away from them. Yeah. Like they'd be like, "Oh, no, she's gone. Hold on." Good. <laughs> Protecting her privacy. <laughs> so then at it was somewhere between 24 and 26 weeks. I'm not exactly sure when it was, but somewhere in there we were referred to the Children's Hospital and mm. there we had a fetal echocardiogram 
So that's... Yeah, which is wild that that exists. When they do an ultrasound on the baby's heart while they're still in utero. Yeah, get, like, all of the heart measurements. Yeah. Like an echocardiogram that they would do on a not baby inside of a person's heart, except they can do it to the baby inside the other person. It was totally crazy. So that's, like, a really long... Most echocardiograms do take a long time. Like, I've had them... I've had so many of them. And they they do take a while. And a fetal echocardiogram is no different. It takes a while. The baby is, like, real wiggly. (laughs) So that makes it a little bit hard. So in that ultrasound... We also, after the ultrasound, we met with... The cardi- one of the cardiologists at the children's hospital. We met with the chief, chief. of cardiology, yeah. didn't we? No. Or was that the next appointment? No, that was like our first when they said... Previous appointment? Okay. When they, when they first told us about the heart defect. So after like the 20-week scan, we met with the chief. Right. They got the, they got the very important people involved with us. Yeah. And so at this one, we just met one of the cardiologists on the team at the children's hospital. And she talked us through what Eliza's heart defects were. So she did have a hole in her heart that encompassed all four chambers uh, of her heart. So it was kind of right smack dab in the middle of her heart, this big hole. So a hole in the heart is not a super uncommon thing for anybody, for any baby. It's not that weird. And lots of babies are born with holes in their heart and they close on their own. Yeah. Or they're very tiny and... Nobody even notices. Nobody... You never have to have surgery. Yeah. I mean, maybe Eliza's was a little on the large side, but (laughs) still not not anything super exciting or uh, dramatic in the in the hole in the heart department. No, I mean it was it was a pretty big hole. It was a good one. Um, I mean, we knew she was gonna have congenital heart defect, so we did. having a hole in the heart that's a that's a good one to have if you need to have one. And but she had a secondary defect, which was that her aortic arch was narrow and was so narrow that she would need to have surgery within probably the first two weeks of her life. This one was a little more of a bummer. Yeah, you definitely don't want to have this going on. So they do... Yeah, I don't know. I'm just reiterating what you just said. That she would have needed to have surgery very, very early on. Mm-hmm. Pretty much right away. And so the plan at that time was to have first surgery within two weeks of birth. And then that would take care of the arch. And a second surgery within the first six months to take care of the hole issue h-o-l-e issue not the hole yes thank you the entire hole issue um so two surgeries not you know our first choice of the amount of surgeries that our baby would need to have but everybody was (laughs) very confident that um You know, there there wouldn't be crazy issues or anything like that. It all sounded uh, like everybody had a plan. Everyone knew what was going on. We knew what was going on. 
we were getting tours of the NICU. Yeah, so at that, that same appointment, we toured the NICU. Yeah, we're, we would be, you know, living for the foreseeable future. So they said probably the first month we would spend in the NICU. Um, we would spend two weeks there after she was born before surgery and then another two weeks after surgery recovering and then we would get to go home. And the doctors were also pretty confident that after the two surgeries, Eliza would probably never need another heart surgery again. She would need to be monitored just to ensure that her heart function was still stable. But the cardiologist was pretty confident that once the repairs were done, she was not going to need another surgery. Um, yeah, done. Which, Have a good life. See you later. Which is different than my diagnosis. So with my heart defect, I had two surgeries by the time I was two and a half years old. And I will need to have more surgeries in my lifetime. I haven't had them yet, but I will need to have them. So that's a very different diagnosis than I have lived with. Also, the cardiologist told us that her heart defect was not what they would consider a typical heart defect for a child with Noonan syndrome. So it's not the heart defect that they were expecting her to have. That was interesting. Don't really have any follow-up or more information on that. I think, I wonder if maybe it's just because, you know, sometimes they do see this defect, but Noonan's goes undiagnosed or... Mm. Noonan's is a weird one to catch and a lot of folks have Noonan's and just are never diagnosed because they don't, you know, have a lot of the regular signs. They don't really have a heart defect. Yeah, it could or be pretty mild. some people do just have a mild heart defect and they wouldn't think to check for Noonan's. So, I don't know, maybe it's... Yeah, the only reason... Noonan's was ever discovered with me is because I was so short and I wasn't growing very much. Now, my parents are not tall people. No, they're very short My as dad, well. you know, was probably at his max height, maybe 5'5". Five five. My mom at her max height was like 5'3", five 5'4". Five so, you know, they were not tall people. And I say max height because they've both started shrinking, so I can't, like, their height now tells me nothing. But in my family, I'm 4'10". I look really short. And I mean, I'm really short in the population, too. But with Noonan's, your, your genetics play into it, so the height of your parents will, ta- will affect how tall you're going to be, even if you have Noonan's. So if you have two people who say the man is 6'3", and the woman's 6 feet, and they have a child who has Noonan's, that child might only end up to be 5'5", five, 5'6". Five, five, so in the general population, they look normal. In their family, they might look short, but that might not be enough to trigger the family to investigate that, right? To like, do genetic testing. testing. Like, that <laughs> so. might not... They might just be like, oh, you're the short one in the family, and leave it at that. Um... But because I was so short in the general population, it kind of made my parents question things, which is how we discovered I had Noonan's. Yeah. A little bit more. So anyway, Eliza has Noonan's. She has two heart things. We're all prepared. Everybody's ready. Yeah. I 
I typed out a big note that I sent out to everybody so everybody would know what was happening. I was starting to get like, you know, information like the phone trees and the emails all organized because I knew people were going to have to be delivering this information for us because we were going to be in hospital, right? I was going to give birth and be recovering from a C-section and Mike was going to be with Eliza. And so we knew that pretty much from that point on that I would give birth, I would have a moment or two to say hi to Eliza and then she was going to go in an incubator and go to the children's hospital and Mike was going to follow her. So there was like a lot of, you know, moving pieces that we were thinking about that needed to be coordinated. Yeah. We were, yeah, but we were, we felt, I think, prepared for the situation. Yeah. How are you feeling at this point in being pregnant? What was being pregnant like? (laughs) My ankles were swollen. Yeah, that was funny. It was uncomfortable. Looking back in photos, I look ridiculous. Uh, yeah, you were huge. Yeah, with, you know, more than 10 weeks to go. Leah is, as we've mentioned, a short lady. And she had, like, a basically full-size baby inside of her. I would like a bat. It kind of looked like I had a <clears throat> basketball rammed up my shirt. Eliza was never measuring small or anything for her age. She was always right on target. Or big. <laughs> <laughs> or a little big. Yeah, and Leah was just massive. And you had people asking about... If oh, if you... it was twins. I got that a lot. Yeah. Um, is it twins? No. And then they would ask a follow-up question of, are you sure? Yeah. Yeah, guys, I'm sure. I had lots of people say like, oh, not much longer for you to go. And I would look at them and say, I'm due in October. And they would then make a very concerned face. (laughs) Like they were not sure how that was going to work out for me. Mm -hmm. Lots of people at the grocery store were like, do you need help getting to your car? Mm. I had people, I had my custodian at work. He was worried I was going to give birth at work when I was like 22 weeks pregnant. I assured him I wasn't. Uh, So lots of people, I think, assumed I was way further along than I was and were just worried that the baby was going to come way sooner than. Yeah. But now you're good. Yeah. I felt a lot smaller than I looked, which is the way you want that to go. Yeah. (laughs) You don't want to feel bigger than you look. Sure. So that worked out. Yeah. And yeah, things were going pretty well. Yeah, it was a good pregnancy. Yeah. And then on... August 14th, I woke up in the morning like normal. Eliza always liked to kick and punch and move around in the morning. And she was doing that. And then I went out for a walk with my neighbor. And Eliza was typically pretty quiet during the day. And especially if I was moving, I definitely could never feel her. Like if I was walking around... I didn't know what she was doing in there. And then I came home and I had some like contractor guys here doing some work in the basement. And then I took a nap because I was 29 weeks pregnant and that's all I wanted to do. And I woke up around 2.30 and I didn't feel her move when I woke up. And I was like, well, that's a little weird, but I didn't think much of it really. 
then like half an hour later, I still hadn't felt her move. And I kind of thought like, well, that's weird. So then I tried, you know, all the, all the tricks that they tell you to try. Uh, drink something cold, have something sweet, run around a whole bunch and then lie down really quiet and see if you can feel them. And I did all those things and I, I couldn't feel her. And I kind of thought like, oh, she's just being a real punk. But I phoned Mike and I told him what was happening. I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to go to the hospital. So Mike said, okay, I'll, I'll meet you at the hospital. And so I told my best friend what was happening. And then I called my mom on the way to the hospital and told her what was happening. And in the drive to the hospital... I was pushing my belly a whole bunch, trying to get, you know, sometimes if you like poke at the baby, the baby pokes back and there was nothing. And on the drive, I got more and more worried that something was really wrong. I was, when you called me, I was a little worried, but I was more thinking like, oh, she's coming early. Like today's going to be Eliza's birthday kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then, so I met Mike at the hospital and we went up to the labor and delivery triage and they brought me into a room and they were trying to find her heartbeat with a Doppler and they couldn't find a heartbeat. Basically, as soon as the nurse put the Doppler on and I didn't hear the super fast heartbeat of a baby... I, I knew something was wrong. But they need to confirm that there's no heartbeat with an ultrasound. And so they brought in one ultrasound machine, but it wasn't a very good ultrasound machine. So then they had to take me down the hall to a better ultrasound machine. And now it's like, you know, 5 o'clock, 5.30 at night. And so the ultrasound machine needs to boot up. So this is taking a long time. Um, but they confirmed on the ultrasound machine that Eliza no longer had a heartbeat. Uh, but that means that you still have to deliver a baby. I just remember them, um, the, I guess she was the, the resident mm. there working who did the ultrasound, turning off the monitor that we would normally be looking at before she did it. Because um, normally they turn that on so that you can see what's going on, see your baby and everything. But I just kind of knew when she turned it off that, well, I mean, we, I think we already knew at that point, but it was very bad. Um, just that whole, <laughs> just, you know, I don't know. I, I felt maybe that's kind of when it sunk in. No, it never really sunk in. When... I don't know what I'm trying to say. Let's go. Uh, yeah, it was the, the worst news we'd ever received. And I don't think that there's a good place to end this week's episode. It's going to be a bit of a cliffhanger, guys.
Um, we will talk about Eliza's birth experience next week. Yeah. Or I guess my birth experience. Well, it was Eliza being born. Yeah. Yeah, I'm more <laughs> I'm excited about next week's episode. It's also, there are parts of it that are going to be tough, but I'm excited that we get to tell Eliza's story next week. Yeah. I mean, this has all been Eliza's story, but next week we actually get to meet our main character. Yeah. Yeah. It won't be all horrible, I promise. (laughs) Uh, So don't just, like, skip it because this one is ending on such a dark part of the story but if we were to continue talking about what happens next this episode would be three hours long (laughs) it's true so we'll talk to you next week is there anything else we need to say i don't think so feels weird to say follow our twitter and stuff at this point doesn't it yeah but we gotta do it follow our twitter i guess and where do they find that at baby quest cast i run the twitter so come say hi to me there or you can follow us on instagram at baby quest pod leah does the instagram i do instagram i just want to say thanks to anyone who's listening and stuck with us this many episodes to listen to our very long story <laughs> and again like if you have ideas for other episodes in the you future have questions for us Questions for our weird story, questions about why Leah's playing with her Velcro watch strap in the middle of recording. I'm sorry. Yeah, let us know. Get in touch, please. Yeah. Or if you want to ask questions about why the podcast sounds so weird or something, you know, we'll take any feedback. If you know somebody who this podcast might be helpful to, share it with them. Yeah, I think this podcast... It's weird to say I want this podcast to reach people who know nothing about any of this stuff because people who haven't experienced it in general don't really like people who have experienced it first or even secondhand are probably much more well-educated than most people. I was not one of those people previously and we have encountered tons and tons and tons and tons of people who were also not educated about this stuff. So we kind of want to keep spreading the word and just kind of uh hoping that our story maybe raises a little a whittle awareness and and, you know we want to what is this podcast want to try to educate people who don't know anything about it which is most people and that's fine not holding it against anyone but we also want to reach out to people who are in the sort of similar infertility we're not really infertility well well (laughs) in the trying to conceive and uh infant loss world just kind of you know have a little community not alone let us know say hi we're here to talk but yeah i think that's about it that's my five minute speech about what a podcast is and who could listen to it thanks leah is hang on Leah is currently 
scrolling through Instagram stories. I just got like distracted. Furiously tapping her screen while we're recording a podcast. You were skipping through people's for a Instagram long stories. time. It was oh, a man. lot. Please listen to next week's episode. I love you. Bye. Bye. Thank you.